Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. And once God had created man and woman, what did he tell him? He said to be fruitful and multiply. And he created the family. God's original design, his original plan for man on earth started with the family unit. And as I was preparing to teach, um, I was laying in bed one night and I was like, God, you know, what do you want me to say? Um, and he said, I want you to look at the baguettes and the baguettes. I saw that look, Polly. I saw that look. <laughs> um, if you don't know the baguettes and the baguettes in the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament, like in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and Kings, you know, such and such baguette, such and such baguette, such and such. It's a lineage. Who's, whose father? Um, and I was like, that is the most boring portion of the Bible, you know, and there's a lot of baguettes and baguettes. So if I'm supposed to look at the baguettes and the baguettes, where do I begin? Um, and so <laughs> I decided that I would first look at the definition, uh, baguette is just the past tense of baguette and baguette means to obtain by effort. It was not what I expected, you know. Um, when I think of reading lineage, I think of father to son to father to son. I don't think of obtained by effort, but that's what it means. And so I was like, well, how do I, how do I go about this, you know? How do I look at this? And so I was Googling, right? And um, Googling scripture with baguette and baguette and thinking that God would lead me in a direction. And what I found was a site that broke out every book of the Bible and how many baguettes and baguettes there were. And what I noticed was there's a whole lot in the Old Testament, tons but there aren't very many at all in the New Testament. And um, there's a reason for that. In the Old Testament, who your father was, was important. Um, that, that saying, who's your daddy, 
It was important during Old Testament time. It established your place in society, what roles you might have. In certain tribes, you couldn't hold certain positions unless you were of the lineage of this house. You couldn't be a scribe unless you were a son of this house. Um, It also established your inheritance. And we know that God viewed the family unit as important because God created the family unit. And so the lineage in the Old Testament was important because it was an establishment of who they were as a people. But when you go to the New Testament, there aren't a lot of begets and begats. There are some. Um, There's a portion in the Gospels where it outlines the lineage of Jesus, showing that he fulfilled the prophecy all the way up to his birth. And so there are the begets and the begats there. But other than that, what's left in the New Testament is how God beget us, how he became our father. The emphasis left the father of the man, and it became our father, right? And we all have the same father. Now, they didn't stop just, just for those who might question. Um, they didn't stop using beget and begat in the New Testament. Um, because, it, you know, sometimes words go out of style. You know what I mean? Um, there's certain things that we don't hear anymore. And if we did hear them, we would think, oh, that's very 1700s or 1800s. It's very Victorian period or whatever. It wasn't like that. It wasn't that it wasn't used. It's just the importance changed. The direction changed within the book. And um, there are eight authors of the New Testament, 27 books, over a period of 60 years. And yet all of them, as they wrote, their writing changed to this point of view. It wasn't one man who said it all. Yes, Paul probably said it more than anybody because he said a few times that he beget others through Jesus Christ. But overall, it was a shift within the thinking of God's people. He obtained us by effort, and that's what became important. He paid the ultimate price for us. He became our father. He became a father to the fatherless. Because if you were fatherless in that time, you were no one. You had no lineage. And he gave us all his lineage. Our earthly father, while maybe being important, was no longer of the utmost importance. And... Our inheritance is now from him. Yeah. 
our position is now from him. And he has established all that. Being his became our identity. We know that God had established the importance of family, and then he made himself the father to all who claim him. In Acts 13, 32 through 33, we tell the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And in 1 John 5, 1 through 5, look at that one. Oh, yeah, you guys are right on it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that oversees the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When Jesus came to earth, his design for his followers was the church. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. We established that back in Genesis. We need each other. We need the family unit. Church in that time did not mean a building. It meant assembly or congregation or a meeting. It wasn't foreign to people. They knew the word. They were familiar with the word. It just didn't mean the same thing back then as it does to us today. <coughs> During that time, they had temples. They had tabernacles. They had synagogues. But there were no structures called churches. It was only after Jesus used the word church that it became known as or synonymous with a congregation of believers in Jesus. But the church was never a place. It was a people. It was a family. And we can see this change in scripture. In Mark 33, 31 through 35, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting with him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. 
So here in this scripture, Jesus establishes that whoever does God's will is part of the family. And if we are his church and his established family, then we are all brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers, right? And responsible to one another under the design of the family that he laid out for us. It's kind of hard to swallow sometimes, isn't it? To think about potentially being responsible for everybody in this room. For everybody not in this room. If they're part of the family, if they're part of the church, the people, not the place, not the building, the people, the church. We have responsibilities to one another, don't we? I, as a mother, I have responsibilities to my children. Some of them are very basic. I get them up, I feed them, I bathe them, I run them around, I make sure they get an education. The extracurriculars. But I also have a responsibility to their spiritual education. So do the fathers, right? It's not good enough to say, I fed them, I bathed them, I brought them up, they're 18, there's the boot, there's the door. We have a responsibility. And if you are my father, and you are my mother, we have a responsibility to one another. In Galatians 6, 1 through 2, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You notice it doesn't say when it's convenient. When it's easy. When you like someone, because you guys got a, a jive going on, you know? Haven't you noticed that? Sometimes you just click with somebody, and it's easier to spend time with them, and it's easier to, to pour into them. It's easier to tell them when God tells you something. But it doesn't say that. And it says, do it gently. Do it gently. Today I'd like to talk specifically about the role of the father and the mother within the church. There are lots of places within the Bible where the scripture lays out the role of the father, the role of the mother, the responsibilities thereof. Um, but I want to go to Proverbs 1.8, 
Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And then again in Proverbs 6.20, almost the same. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Well, this seems like God gave us a role, right? That fathers are to, dis- to instruct and direct and mothers are to teach. When I was reading this and I was thinking about it, an example came to mind. Um, you know, if my husband, I have a 10-year-old, Eva. If my husband goes to her and he says, bake me a cake, he's given her an instruction. But she has no idea how to accomplish that. She doesn't know what ingredients go in a cake. She doesn't know the measuring tools, teaspoon, tablespoon, wet cup, dry cup. She doesn't know maybe how to turn the oven on, let alone what temperature to set it at to bake a cake. So he's given her instruction. He's, he's directed her. But she doesn't necessarily know how to complete her task or be successful in it. And when she's done, the only way she'll know if she was successful is if it tastes like a cake, right? And on the flip side, I could go to my daughter and I could say, come into the kitchen, okay, pour this cup of flour in, add this sugar, here's some butter, and I could teach her how to make a cake. But if I don't tell her that we're making a cake, when it's done, she'll taste it and she'll know that that's what we ended up with. But she won't really know if that was our goal because I didn't give her an instruction or I didn't say this is the goal to end up with a cake. For all she knows, it should have been cornbread and we've messed it up. We need fathers who can instruct us and give us direction. And we need mothers who can teach. I'm not saying that fathers can't teach. I'm not saying that mothers can't instruct. I'm saying that God had a design and his ways are better than ours usually. And his outcomes are better than ours usually, right? Um, If you are a mother or a father of this church, of this family, and we are all brothers and sisters, then every child in this house is your child. 
We, if we have a responsibility one to another, then I have a responsibility to your kids, Caleb. And you to mine. Now, I'm not expecting you to come and raise my kids. But you are a father of this house. And if you see one of my children obviously headed in the wrong direction, I want you to say something to them, to say something to me, to instruct, to guide. While I was working on this teaching, God began to convict me about the way we speak about the generations, about our children. Um, I think everybody's heard of the term millennial. It has taken an ugly connotation in our society. Has anyone else noticed that? Um, when you hear the older generations talk about millennials, 95% of the time it is not in a positive light. Even the younger generations that are younger than millennials do not want to be considered a millennial. My daughter will tell you she is not a millennial. And God really began to convict me that they're still our children. They are still us. And we speak so badly about them. We have such a negative connotation sometimes for the younger generations. We lament what we say is lost. Have you heard that? That we're losing this generation? That there is a lost generation? If there are children and our brothers and sisters and they're still here, obviously, if we lose them, is it a reflection of who they are as a generation or who we are as a church? A while back, God had spoken to me the word legacy. It was during a family situation. We had a family member pass. I kept hearing legacy, legacy. And at the time, I knew that he was referring to her children and children's children. Um, but the word legacy just means handed down from a predecessor. The children of this house, of this church, of this family, they are our legacy. they will have whatever we hand down to them. 
for the good or the bad. We all know that we're perfectly capable of handing things down either way. You hear those phrases like, you know, that's her father's temper. <laughs> Where'd that rebellion come from? They will have whatever we give them. So we need to be mindful of what we give them. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. So what are we to impress on them? That they love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and strength. And when? At home? and in public on the road, in the morning and in the evening, when they're coming in and when they're going out. I ran across something um, In Ezekiel 16.44, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter. I would have told you that like mother, like daughter was not nearly that old of proverb. I wouldn't have called it a proverb. Just so you know, Ezekiel was written approximately 2,600 years ago. It's been around a long time. Very well established. Like mother, like daughter. And of course there are other scriptures about fathers and sons. But the point is, who they are is who we are. They are a reflection of us. And so we have to be diligent. We have to guide daily at home and in public, in the morning, 
and in the evening, when they come in, and when they go out. But within the church, we need the same. We need the mothers of this church. I'm not going to say that anyone here has ever said it. I, I can't say that I've heard it. But if you've ever said, well, I've raised my children. We need you. We need you to think of each of the children in this church as a child that you have something of value to impart to. If you are a father of this church, we need you for direction, for guidance, to recognize their value. I'm going to turn to you and look. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, come on. Originally, Mom and I were going to do this together. And uh, so I'm going to, I'm passing off. Like mother, like daughter. Whoa. (laughs) Thank you, dear. (laughs) I don't know, just a lot of different things. um, As she was speaking, that impressed on me this morning. You know, first of all, I want to say, because somebody here needs to hear this, that thing about the begat that was obtained by effort. And it's no longer an effort because he is our father and a father to the fatherless. And it has changed your role in society and it has changed your role in this community. And maybe you don't want people to know what family you come from. But you're not just that family now. So you don't need to hide that. You don't need to be ashamed of that because you're part of the family of God. Um, The thing I keep, that kept, I kept thinking, Mary, as you're talking is um, about the instruction in the teaching and it's modeling behavior. And this isn't is an area that's really dear to my heart. It's our kids and our grandkids. And um, and I may step on toes here. And I think that <clears throat> I'm probably stepping on my own. You know, um, we weren't all raised the same. We didn't all come up in the same kind of church. We weren't all taught the same kind of thing. And you know, and, I, and 
Pastor Glenn has said this, and, you know, I have been guilty of this at times with the kids and, um, and how they worship. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. There are times when I have, I have really got on my grandkids and the extra kids that I take responsibility for, Mike and Rachel's kids, because they don't act in church the way I was taught to act. And they don't act the way I expected my kids to act in church. And Karen will remember because my kids grew up and they knew because a lot of times mama was helping with worship and, and they might all be right there on the front row or the middle row or whatever and Karen might be behind them and she knew if they got too far out of line that she had permission to reach up and flick them on the ear and she'd get their attention. And I'm sure you've done that many times because they told me that. <laughs> And, but I've been guilty of being hard on them. And I've been guilty of being hard on their parents, too. Because sometimes it looks like utter chaos over here. And I tell you what, as a worshiper, I need to model what they need to see. I need to demonstrate. And I'm not talking that you got to, I'm not talking I need to model you got to sit and be quiet and not move. I'm talking, I need to demonstrate how to worship God. And I tell you what, this morning I worshiped God right there in the middle of him. And you know what? Didn't distract me a bit. And Asley and Mike and Lenny, <clears throat> Carson, I want you to know you hit the presence of God this morning for me. And I entered in, and I was this close to telling you to go back and do look what the Lord has done again because I was that close to dancing in the Spirit. I haven't done that in a long time. But, <laughs> but I was close. But I want you to know they didn't distract me. But I need, and we all need, to model what worship is. And <clears throat> anyway, but... Legacy, you know, our roles as, as fathers and mothers in the church, and I don't think Christy will mind that I share this. Last night, Eva's been in this community play that LaRoyce is directing and, and Christy's been helping with. And when it was over, Eva came out, and we were kind of, you know, getting ready to leave, and Christy came up, and she wanted, she'd sent me a text. I, I need to talk to you, you know, before you leave. And it's like, okay. You know, I thought, oh, I don't wonder what that's about. And she came up, and she wanted to know if Eva was okay. I said, yeah. Well, apparently there had been a little incident backstage where Eva was part of the angel choir, and they had these kind of floppy halos, and she was really getting bent out of shape because her halo wouldn't do what it was supposed to do. Well, it was kind of a funny part of the play that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And Christy knows Eva well enough as a mother in the house who takes responsibility for these other kids. She knew that she'd been around her enough. She knew she was this close to spinning totally out. And I think that's your words. 
And she finally just reached over and plucked that halo off her head. And that was the end of it. But she was concerned that it had, you know, damaged Eva or affected Eva. It didn't. I said, you know, had you not told me, I'm not sure she would have told me at all. She was fine with it. But it's because she had relationship with Eva that she could know that. And I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you and your, your interest in our kids. I appreciate your interest in me because I need your prayers just like anybody else. And I don't know where this is going, and I think I'm, I've said all I need to say. Okay. I guess we'll... Anybody? Caleb? Well, that was very good. Um, I don't want to add to it already. They did except to say that all the stuff that they're talking about is, especially for those of, I don't know if I want to put me and the us of the long in the tooth yet, but it's a sacrifice to do that, to invest in other people's families. It's a sacrifice to step out when it may be time for you to think just sit back and relax and enjoy being a child of God, but... It, it's so, so important for the next generation to have that. To, not, to, see, to see the example of God and Holy Spirit in their, their worldly mother and father, but to see it in, their other, in the bigger family. And not to forget that. Maybe that's the challenge, is to, to look around, be very aware of the impact that you have outside this house on other people's families. So we'll just, I guess, close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for bringing us this word today through Mary and through Sandra. I pray that you would just make us more and more aware of your presence everywhere we go and how you would have us to affect the generation under us coming up and even the one above us help us to learn from their mistakes, God, and from their wisdom that you've given them, Lord. I thank you for that, God. Jesus' name we pray, amen.